great songs this morning. Yeah, that talked about Jesus and who he is. You know, there is no other way to God. There is no other way to God other than Jesus. And the world finds that hugely offensive. It is only Jesus. I must stay on track. It is only him. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus has set us free. Amen. Right, this is week seven. We've been doing God's Big Picture, which is a resource from um, Vaughan Roberts. You can Google it and you can get his book. And, and he goes through a narration of the Bible. Um, and, and we've been doing that. And the plan was to do it for seven weeks. And um, we're at week seven. And I decided to do it in eight. Why? Well, because I can. <laughs> because I can. Um, sometimes we can just pack too much in it. And, and I wanted to take a bit more time this morning. If you're new, um, as a church, we wholeheartedly want to keep uh, true to God's word. Wholehearted adherence to the Bible as God's word. That was one of the areas we felt God was really pressing in upon us. Um, he's encouraging us to move in to not just a new season, but a new era. And we talked about that during July at our weekend away. And if you are visiting us or, or just want to refresh, you go onto our, our website and one of the banner pages, you'll, you'll see uh, a version of that. The colours you can't see very well on there. And if you click on it, it'll open up and it will share, share more about that. Um, but we believe that this book um, is God's word. It is authoritative. We read it, and if God has said it, then we seek to work it out. We seek to work it out. Sometimes we need to understand who the audience was, the culture that was being written to at that time. But if we're not careful, we all too just flit away in, well, the Greek or the Hebrew must have meant something else, or that was just for that time. God's word is living and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can dissect marrow from marrow, bone from bone, cell from cell. Anything that is within you. We talked about the sin nature. I've gone right off track at the beginning. We talked about the sin nature in week one. And therefore there is a nature that is passed down to every human being that is inherently sinful. And the only answer to deal with that sin nature is Jesus. And you know, the Bible says that the Bible is just so accurate and so sharp that it can seek out the most tiniest molecule, the most smallest thing in your body and say, that shouldn't be there, and cut it out. That's the power of God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we've been doing it a little bit differently over the summer because we're radical and we mix things up. Um, and, and it's taken on a bit more of a narration. So we've gone at some speed. You know, um, and, and it's been different for some of those who have spoken. Um, but we hope that you've enjoyed it and got some, something out of it. So, I even got aims for this morning. Look at me. I am cooking on gas. Are you ready? Okay. So, our aim this morning is I just want to reaffirm that the Bible is one book written by God. 40 authors who he inspired. They put their character, their flair into what they wrote. But, but be under no illusion. Here in this church, it's God's word. God 
authored it and he inspired over thousands of years and it comes together perfectly, so perfectly. And this morning we're going to look at the seeds of salvation in the Old Testament, God's grace in the Old Testament and man's response throughout the Old Testament throughout the Old Testament. And we will go quick at a high level because then I want to move on to, I want to look at the establishment of the church, the work of the epistles to some of what I'm calling keep the faith. And week seven is what um, Vaughan Roberts called, is called the proclaimed kingdom. But I'm going to do it over a couple of weeks and then we're going to finish off. So next week, look at this. Man, you absolutely know where I'm going. It's a first Next week, we're going to look at the establishment of the church for the work of, of evangelism. And we're going to look at the second coming of Christ. Do you know why he's coming back? He's coming back. Yeah, he's coming back and he's looking for a bride, the church spotless and white, adorned. Anyway, let's keep, uh, uh, let's keep on track. So... The kingdom of God. That has been the, the theme that we've picked up. It was first identified by the theologian Graham Goldsworthy and Vaughan picks it up as well. And he talks about the establishment of the kingdom. And um, um, Graham Goldsworthy established the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place in, uh, uh, under God's rule and blessing. I had a few more in there. That's what I said. God's people in God's place, enjoying and under God's rule and God's blessing. That is the kingdom of God. And right at week one, we, we laid out the pattern of the kingdom. And it was that God's people were Adam and Eve, mankind. And God's place was the Garden of Eden. And they, God's rule and blessing was under perfect relationship with him. That was, that was the kingdom. They had it perfect, a perfect life that God provided for them in every way, including giving them good boundaries. Who knows as parents, boundaries are good. Yeah, boundaries are good. And you remember the first week, it was just before we, uh, we broke up for the summer holidays, what well, they just had, and, uh, and the kids have been going to bed later. Um, and, and slowly now we've been reintroducing sensible bedtime. Hello. Sensible bedtime. Yeah, and I am loving it. It got a little bit of ray last time, you know, something called Strictly had started. And we agreed we'd record it on Sunday and watch it on Monday. You know, we record it on Saturday and watch it on Sunday because it's a bit late. Claire couldn't resist. And they were there and it got later and later. And it's like after half past eight, it's like my whole evening's over. I mean, there's no point doing anything now. It's 8.30. Can't start a film. You know, go gone. God put good boundaries. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, we know that the snake enters the scene. Yeah? Who is later identified as Satan and he deceived them. He twisted God's word to portray it as not true. You will not die he twisted God's word to say it's not clear. Did he, did he really say? Are you sure? And he twisted God's word to say it's not fair. God is holding back from you. And if you only eat this food, you will know everything that God knows because God is holding back. 
It's not true, it's not clear, and it's not fair. These are still Satan's tactics today. He will seek to twist what God says, to misrepresent, to re-represent in his own view, in his own way. Because if he can get you looking the other way, looking away from God, then he's got you. These are some of Satan's most frequent used tactics, and he still uses them today. We should be aware of them, and a huge red flag whenever we're saying, really, is that really true? It's just not clear. It just doesn't feel fair. Do you know, fairness is a biggie, because it's equality, isn't it? That's not fair. That isn't loving to do that. And whenever we start to go down that, it should be a great big red flag to check. Stop. Look, listen, am I discerning the right thing in crossing this road? <laughs> yeah. Stop, look, listen before crossing the road and believing these things about God's word. What was so terrible? What was so bad about eating fruit? What was the problem? God said don't. And for some reason, when I, let me use I statements. In my experience, that's a my, and what I have seen, God said don't doesn't mean what it used to mean when I was growing up. And again, we ask, really? Really don't? Well, what was the context? And maybe it's for then, and maybe it's not for now. And what does the Greek say? What does the Hebrew say? Let me tell you what don't means in Hebrew. Don't! Greek is even better. Don't! God, so why was it so bad? God said no. When I used to say to my mum, why, 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 she'd say Zed. And I never got it until I became a parent. Do you know what else I didn't get? I've got to watch this time. When I was young and I was crying in my bedroom and I wanted my mum after I'd been gone to bed and I was upset and I wanted my mum, I would cry and cry and cry. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I'd cry thinking, surely mum can hear me. I would scream hoarse. I can't believe she can't hear me. And finally she'd come up. She heard me. When I became a dad, I realised when my kids started to cry when I put them to bed and I was downstairs that she could hear me. That she could hear me. And I was like, it was like a revelation. She, I wanted to phone her up. <laughs> you could hear me. Do you know how long I went on? She said, I know, Ben. You went on and on. <laughs> we know, hey, I've got so much to cover. God said, don't. That should be enough. And, and, and I appreciate that we do have to unpack God's word. And we do have to rightly handle it because there's so many questions that today's society wants us to ask of it. And we bring it in church. And we want to correctly handle the word of God. And we want to unpack it more. And we will. But we also want to get to a point where when the plain reading of the word says it in this church, we go, fine. If that's what it says, then that's what we'll do. I don't know if we're there yet. What else? They, did, they wanted to decide for themselves what was right or wrong. They didn't just want to know right from wrong. The knowledge of good and evil. I want to decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. Oh my word, is that not prevalent in today's society? Even, even in church. Even in church. I will decide. Well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Well, that's how you interpret it, but I interpret it different. Do you see how that seed can just so easily come in 
Oh, I've got to stop re-preaching stuff. We'll ne- never go there. So God proclaims his judgment. They disobeyed. Does anybody think it's unreasonable for there to be consequences of not doing what you were asked to do? I mean, parents. I mean, uh, you know, if, if we put boundaries in and, the, and, and then just ignore them, you know, and, and when they break the boundaries, we don't say anything and there's no cost for it, then what does that tell our children? What do we call God? What does he call us? His Get it? <laughs> God proclaims his judgments. Genesis 3, 23 to 24. Let's read it. Therefore the Lord God sent him, that was Adam, out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. He drove them. He drove them. Get out. Get out. There's consequences for disobeying my word. And he placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We forget that God is totally just and he will have justice. Sometimes it's right there and then. Sometimes we see those who have wronged us get justice in our time. But do not worry God will not be mocked. And though you may see evil go untested, undealt with, it will be dealt with. Because God is a just God and God demands justice. And for every evil, for every injustice, God will bring justice. And for some of you, thank God he's held back. Thank God he's held back. Sometimes it's on the day of judgment so in looking back and in drawing I'm not going to go through each week as we've done but I'm going to pick up some themes and I'm going to go quickly so I want, I want to show you this morning how all the way through the, uh, through the Old Testament that's not fair actually in a number of places in the Old Testament we can see the seeds of the gospel one story two halves two covenants two expressions one book so First of all, we've seen it, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3.21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve knew they were naked and were ashamed. They tried to cover the same with leaves. And yet God, God killed an animal to, to signify that, that there needs to be a death. There needs to be a shedding of blood and God made tunics to cover their shame temporarily because actually there's one who will, who will deal with our shame forever. And we see the seed of the gospel, of the shedding of the blood to deal with our shame. What else do we see? Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, and he believed in the Lord, he being Abraham, or Abraham at this time, and, and he being God, capital H, accounted, accounted it to him for righteousness. God tells Abraham that he will have descendants like the stars in the sky. And where you get rid of light pollution, that is just phenomenal. God takes him and says, do you see the stars? Abraham, who's not had a child, who's getting old in age, do you see it? I'm going to make your descendants as, as numerous as them. And Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's not by our own 
goodness that we are declared righteous, but by faith in God alone. There it is. There's the seed. Actually, there's nothing that we can do to be righteous. It's actually accepting Jesus Christ into our lives and having faith in him that makes us righteous. The seed of the gospel right at the beginning. Isaac, in Genesis 22, the Lord Lord wants to know... um, Hold on. The Lord wants to know of Abraham's faith and asks him for a son as a sacrifice. Those are my words. So verse 22, then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains which I will send you. I mean, there's a whole story of Abraham. And he gets his son and he names him Isaac, which is laughter. And his precious son, and God says, I want him. I want him. I can't imagine, he talks about it in the Bible. Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the offering? I don't know how we hold it together. And Abraham must have had absolutely every, every, everything within him said, I will do this. And everything within him also said, God will provide a way out. Abraham takes his son and right as the knife was in his hand, God says, stop. Look, there's a ram in the thickets. Now I know. <laughs> now I know that you wouldn't even withhold my son. You will go back and relook at some of the words we just sang. Now that I know, I'm going to give a substitute for what I asked you to bring. And he substituted Isaac for a ram in the thickets to signify that there would be a substitution. Salvation is not through ourselves. That actually Jesus Christ would be the lamb substituted for our sins. God demonstrating that he would provide a lamb for salvation. Salvation through substitution. Jacob, Genesis 27, 33, then Isaac trembled. So actually, let me just go through the story. Jacob was not a nice man. He deceived his father. He wanted the blessing. And his mother got got involved and encouraged him to deceive his father and dress like his brother. He had the smell. He he was a hairy man, a bit like me, (laughs) you know. So, So Jacob deceived his father who was old in age and couldn't see. And came in and if you read the account... His father's asking him, are you really, I saw? Are you really? Come close, and he smells him, and he feels him. And each time, Jacob is going, yes, I am my brother. Yes, I am my brother. And do you know what? He was blessed, and he received the blessing. And this is when the brother comes in, and and Isaac realizes that he's blessed the wrong son. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I've blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. Jacob was not a nice man. Jacob was not a nice man. Here we see someone who did not deserve to be blessed, and yet was. Salvation is not earned. We don't deserve God's blessing. We don't deserve God's goodness, and yet it is given anyway. There's nothing that we can do. There's no matter how good we try and be. 
there's no matter how, how, how righteous we try and be, we're simply not. And here's Jacob who didn't deserve the blessing but got it anyway. Jesus does that. We do not deserve. All have sinned and fallen short. Ah, I didn't get it. Ah, no, and you never would. But you know what? Here you go. Here you go. But I, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Salvation is not earned. It's given by grace. God's graces, we're going to go a bit quicker. We've done this one. God covers the shame of Adam and Eve. Grace. He's, I mean, God gave them everything and they spat in his face and he still deals with their shame and gives them a way back. Noah. Noah was, Noah was not a perfect man was not a perfect man, and yet, he, however, he feared God, and even though he was not perfect, that was sufficient, and God saved him. That's grace. Abraham and Sarah, listen to this. I didn't write this. Abraham's fear and sense of self-preservation led him to distort the truth by saying Sarah was his sister to save his own hide. Did you not know that Sarah's laughter at God when he said she... She would give birth to a son in her old age. And then after laughing at God, she encouraged her husband to sleep with another woman to fulfill the promise. Abraham and Sarah's lives were marked with disbelief and disobedience. Yet God remained faithful to his promise. That's grace. Moses doubted God at every turn. Exodus 4.13. Oh my God, please send by the hand of your... Please, by the hand of whomever else you may send. He was arrogant, stubborn, doubtful, and yet God faithfully walked with him and worked in him. That's grace. The Israelites, we've heard in Judges that they that time and time again they retreated into sin and sinned against God. And yet at every turn, God raises up somebody. God raises up a judge to say, this is because... This is happening to you now because you didn't do what God said. And he raises up a judge to bring them back, to call them back. That's grace. That's grace. There's grace through the Old Testament. This is them turning from God and doing things my way. Adam and Eve in the garden again. Do not eat, they ate. Abraham did things his own way and got Ishmael. Exodus, they made a golden calf. They made a golden calf and worshipped the calf. And what's even worse is they made that God. They made that God. This is the one that has saved us. This is the one. We've heard of the book of Judges and the sin cycle. Constant cycle of grumbling against God. Do you, do you know what? Just stop there. That speaks of an intimate relationship that's become familiar, that they can grumble against God. Familiarity breeds. Constant sin cycle of grumbling against God broke his command, worshipped false idols. Judges 10, 6 is this, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals and Asrothes, the God of Syria, the God of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines. I mean, gosh, they, 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 they served and worshipped whoever else. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. God says in verse 16, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. There's a constant 
cycle of man, of man just doing things their own way. Israel demand for a king. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 8, 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, who just said, you don't want a king. You don't need a king. He'll take your daughters. He'll take your sons. You don't want one. I've spoke to God. He says, you don't want one. And do you know what they said? We refuse to obey you. No, but we will. Do you hear that will? We will have a king to rule over us, that we also may be like the other nations. Deuteronomy... um, King Solomon in Deuteronomy, do not marry foreigners. Do not marry because you will embrace their beliefs and their gods. What does Solomon do? Again and again and again. There's a cycle here. God, God, God raising up his people and yet, and yet his people turning away. His people getting disillusioned. His people, I mean, in some it's blatant as God says this and they did that. It's as blatant as that, and it happens again and again and again. What about today? Okay, at last we turn to Jesus. Stan, last week, the serpent crusher. I didn't get that scripture in. Yeah, Genesis in the early, when God is pronouncing, and, and, and the seed, and the seed of Mary will crush your head. And you will bruise your heel. And as Sally said, crushing a head is far worse than having a bruised heel. The serpent crusher comes on the scene. Luke 9, 20. And he said to them, this is Jesus. But who do you say that I am? Peter Anson said, the Christ. Let me add a bit because it sounds good. I think it's in Matthew. The Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. 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 And then Stan last week said this. When Jesus started his ministry, he was speaking into a culture, historical and social context that was pregnant with the hope and expectation of the Messiah. They've been eagerly seeking him. And let me just gather my notes. They were eagerly awaiting and anticipating the Messiah's coming. They were God's people, God's chosen and yet they were under the rule of the Romans. The Messiah would come from the line of David, the warrior king, overthrow the Romans and re-establish his kingdom here on earth with his chosen people. And yet for some, they still missed it. They were waiting, they were looking, prayer meetings. Eli, Eli, you coming to the all-night prayer meeting for the Messiah? Are you coming, Eli? Yes, madam, yes, mother, I'm coming. Yes, mother, they were eagerly waiting, and yet when he came, some missed it. Oh, have I missed the scripture? The scripture for that. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You only search the, you, you search them. Do you know what? We can know this book and miss it when God speaks. There has to be a life. There has to be, there has to be that Holy Spirit, that work of the Spirit that brings this alive. We can't just read it. It's not just information. It's, it's alive. And there they were pregnant in anticipation for the Messiah and some of them missed it. Others got disillusioned. They thought, now nah, this is it. This is the one who will overthrow the Romans and establish his kingdom. And he started well, Jesus. He started ever so well. What happened? What happened? He's, he's now been arrested. 
and they're going to crucify him. How on earth is he going to overcome the Romans now and establish his kingdom? Look at all these brilliant things he said about the kingdom. What happened? However, others lost faith when they realized he was not going to do this at that time. Many of his disciples departed when Jesus hung there on the cross. How many of us today miss God because he does not come or speak or move in the way we think he should? How many of us today miss God because he does not come or speak or move in the way we think he should? Don't decide how God's going to answer your prayers. Do you know what? That, that's prophetic. Let me say that again. Hold on. Church, this is for some of you. Some of you have already decided how God will answer your prayers and you're going to miss it when he does because it won't be in the way you expect. Go back. Take your prayer up a level in detail. Jesus' death on the cross changed everything. Jesus' substitutional sacrifice, we should have hung there. We should have been there, and yet he was there and said, changed everything. The curtain was torn in twain, as the King James says, that separated the holy of holies from everybody else. Now we have complete access to God. Nothing is withstanding. There was now to be complete relationship between God and his people, just as God expected it and planned it to be. We see that everything in the kingdom points to Jesus, God's people, Anyone who comes to Jesus, not just the Hebrews, not just the 12 tribes, God's place is now in Jesus. He no longer resides in buildings. He is the tabernacle and he actually resides within us. Where is God's place? Within us. Where two or more together, I am there. It is not in the tent of the Holy of Holies anymore, but it is within us. And God's rule and blessing is through Jesus in giving resurrection life in those who trust in him. The kingdom of God is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, now we come on to the proclaimed kingdom at 5 to 12. And I want you to give me 10 minutes. Is that okay? That's why I, I, I split it over, over a couple of weeks. The kingdom has come. Jesus has come, it's now. We experience the kingdom now. We had a bit of kingdom earlier on when we started to flow in harmony, not just of song, but in spirit. And it's like the presence of God starts to manifest. Kingdoms come. The kingdom is near to you. 2 Peter 9, the Lord, uh, let me just give this context. So why not now? Why doesn't God just come back right now? Yeah, Jesus, we're in a mess. The world is in a real mess. You know, we're trying to do it our own way again. You know, Lord, we can't expect those who don't know you to obey your rule, but it's rife. And it seems like that evil is gaining more power. Just come back now. What? Why not now? Lord, please come back now. Millions, if not billions would suffer the consequence of turning from God. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise to come back. As some count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all 
should come to repentance. Do you know, not everything that is God's will, not everything that God's will will happen. There are some who have died who did not come to repentance. There are those that will die that not. And God is waiting back. God is holding back. Trust me, you want him to. And church, it's our mission next week to proclaim who Jesus is. Every week, <laughs> next week, we'll look at it. To proclaim who Jesus is and to bring as many as we possibly can into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Okay. That is why this week is called the proclaimed kingdom. We need to proclaim God's goodness. It's when we have done that proclaiming his kingdom that he will come back again and establish his kingdom here on earth. The proclaimed kingdom. God has left his church on his earth to proclaim his word, which is good news. God has left his church on his earth to proclaim his word. That would have been better, which is good news. There you go. Please, familiarity breeds. We just know this so well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Well, that was for then. No, no, no. All the things that I have commanded you. And lo, here's the promise. Isn't God good? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go! We looked at that. The pattern of the proclaimed kingdom. The Spirit is sent. Acts 2, we'll look at that a little bit more next week. That's happened. We are here. The gospel is proclaimed. Yeah, you will receive, let me read it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Is the Holy Spirit available to all who ask? Done. And you shall be my witnesses declaring to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria is everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. Start where you are. There. If the curtains were open. But next week we'll have a better thingy and we'll be able to see more. A better projector. Judea. Out there, out there, there is still a gospel to be proclaimed and it is good news. I hope you'll appreciate this in context. It is good news even when your unborn baby dies. And I don't know how that could... No, I do. Of course I do. Of course I know how. Where things seemed impossible, are possible in Jesus. Imagine the testimony... Was that God's plan? No, no, no. Sin and the sin nature caused that beautiful little baby to go and be with Jesus. And wow, what a testimony that couple have. The gospel is proclaimed. This is the pattern of the proclaimed kingdom. And Jesus then returns. We're not there yet, but we are there. We'll look at that a bit more next week. Let's go a bit quicker our Christian life is a journey I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith if you look at the rest of the New Testament in five minutes to me I read two things that are going on there's a dualness there's a spread the kingdom spread the good news cause people to come to Jesus and actually keep running keep going keep fighting keep the faith run the race 
Run the race. It is a journey. It is a marathon, not a sprint, and all of those things and analogy. Why? Because there is a battle going on. Because 1 Peter 5.8, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he, can, he may devour. That says it for itself. We could unpack that more. Do not be deceived. He is still doing that. There is a battle that wants to pull you back into the old way of doing things. The old man, Ephesians 4, 22-24, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You know what, there's an ongoing process. Remember the Old Testament? There's this cycle, they picked up the old man, that... that they embraced foreign gods, they embraced philosophies and they got lost and God raises up people and calls them back. There's an ongoing act of taking off the old man. Gosh, that attitude's come to me again. I've got to put it off. These are some of the battles. Help me. I need, this is an example. <laughs> Sometimes I don't say this is an example, people think it's me. Um, I need my car for my business. I work for myself and it's been totaled. It's going to cost four, five thousand pounds to get done. I don't have it. And if I don't have my car, I can't work. And yet this guy says if I give him cash, he'll do it for 1500. I know it's not right. But I don't know what to do. I need my car. That's a battle. That's a sea. That's the sea. Just, just as we sung, just as sickness and, and diseases and, and, and huge other things, actually to seek true to God's word. You know, and I know it's not right. I know he wants to fiddle the tax man. I know he'll be cash in hand. I have no idea where he's got the parts from because I don't know how he can do it that cheap. But you know what? I'm drawn to it because I don't have £5,000. If I don't get my car fixed, I can't work. If I can't work, I don't earn. What am I going to do? Help me. Because that 1,500 quid just seems so tempting. Lead us not into. Look at the epistles. These are just the epistles of Paul. There they are. Paul often is having to call them. Oh, I changed that in a different version. I spotted that this morning. I did. I did a proof check. I know you know me. I proof checked this morning and I spotted that and I changed it and it didn't save. Look at this, Galatians 3, 1 to 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? They were embracing a different gospel. People had come in and deceived them. And Paul says, you're foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians, come back to what you learned. I was with you just a short time ago. We danced in the Spirit. You embraced Jesus. And how is it that so quickly you are going back? Colossians 2.8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. There was false teaching going on and Paul says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do not get caught up in that nonsense. I spent that time with you. Don't you remember? 
Keep it out. It's wrong. It's false. It's Jesus and him crucified. That's all you need to worry about. Yeah, but what does the Greek say? Corinthians. Man, that's a church in a real mess. I mean, I mean, you know, the, 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 the Corinth town was just full of what we would know. It was debauchery, yet they didn't call it that. It was just the way they did it. I mean, to have to write to Paul, Paul, can we still sleep with prostitutes? Is that all right now? Paul's having to work at, 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 at needing, at, at pushing the world out of them because there's a constant, constant come, constant. The book of Hebrews is written to um, a wavering Christians. Quickly, because I've got to give it context. They were mainly Jews. And at that point, actually Christianity was quite Jewish. There was a lot of Abrahams and, and Isaacs. And, and, and you know, Christianity at this point looked very similar. And the emperor of Rome, after having expelled all the Christians and the Jews, realized that the Jews were pretty savvy. And actually, they were quite good at, at economics and stuff. And actually, he, he wanted to bring them back. But you can come back, but you can't follow Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is, is really concerned because at this point, Christianity and Judaism look very similar. And it would be very, very easy to walk back into their place of comfort and lavish and just not talk about Jesus. He's keeping it back, Paul. That isn't Paul, actually. The writer of Hebrews, he's pushing it back again and again. Philemon. I mean, uh, it's not pushing it back, but actually they've got such a, a slavery trade. Paul, what Paul is saying, he was revolutionary. You have every right to probably kill him when he comes back. I am sending you back, but don't. And in fact, if you need to, then kill me instead revolutionary way of thinking. You've got to think differently to the world. Is it a pushing the world back or encouraging kingdom thinking in all the way through? In closing, what does it mean for us today? Can I give a personal note? Can I just be Ben? I'm worried about Christianity. I'm worried about a new kind of Christianity that so many of us seem to be talking about and seeking after. It is my view from what I see and hear and read that we're looking for any possible way to follow Jesus at no cost. At Soul Survivor, Andy, what's his name? Andy Cross spoke on the last day and he talked about when he was 18 or 19 and he was an intern at Soul Survivor, he just spoke to a couple of thousand people and he'd given the word and it was, you know, it, just, it was a real humbling time for him. Uh, and I'm going to be short. And he said, I then w went back home and it took three days, three days before I was watching pornography. That high of speaking to so many people, three days watching pornography. And he said he, he just felt so... So awful, like he'd let everybody down. And he phones up Mike, and he just shares it with Mike, not knowing what he would say. Expel him from the program. This was a visible guy, Andy, been there preaching to thousands. And Andy just says, Mike just said, oh, Andy, how brave of you to share that with me. Come on in, ch children. 
Thank you so much. If you can just be quiet, though, this is just an important moment. I know you can do that. Thank you for sharing that with me. You know what? We will walk together in this. And you know what? That's what a lot of us want. But Mike said this next bit. And Andy, don't do it again. And sometimes it feels like that in our modern Christianity, we want that first bit. We want it to be told, it's okay. Well done. But we don't want to be told, don't do it again. Don't do it again. And the devil, in my humble opinion, and I mean that humbly humble, I really do, my humble opinion is rife with God's word, twisting it. And I've said before, you know, you can't have two opposite truths both be true, or two opposite statements both be true. And yet churches are preaching that. One is wrong. One is wrong. May God have grace on those who preach his word and twist it. What does it mean for us today? I, didn't, I put this scripture right at the end and it's not in my notes, so fingers crossed. Yes, it is. Inasmuch then as we believers have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith and cling tenacitily to our absolute trust in him as saviour. Total adherence to the Bible as God's word. The bits we like and the bits we don't like. And there is an ongoing battle. Scripture isn't, re, isn't being added to. And I'm not ever suggesting it does. I pray that God raises up voices in his church. Oh foolish Solihull Christian Fellowship. Oh foolish Timbuktu Baptist Church. Who has bewitched you? Come back. Come back. Come back. Next week, the proclaimed kingdom and the second coming of Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, to end on a serious note from time to time is not wrong. Lord, we pray that we would walk in the joyness of your word and your freedom. Lord, that we would know deceit as soon as it comes at our path, that you would equip us to push away the enemy's tactics of twisting your word that you would encourage us to stand firm, to hold fast to our confession of faith and cling to our absolute trust in Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Amen. Thank you, church. I'm sorry I...